You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Okay, let's go ahead and get this party started. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to today's podcast of the Miller Frost Show. I am your host, America's most beloved self-loathing homosexual, Miller Frost, here as always with white boy Malcolm X. And remember, before we get started today, you can always reach me at my email address, miller at millerfrostonline.com. And we've got a lot of great stories for you today, so I am just going to go ahead and, and jump right in. And we're going to kick off today's show with with a follow-up story. So last week, we had an interesting story. And surprisingly enough, what was, what was odd about it was that it didn't come out of Florida. So I guess Floridians were off last week causing trouble. All the Floridian school teachers had been done banging out all their students. And everyone else, all the meth junkies and all the other type of folks in Florida... <laughs> And we love you Floridians, we do. Um, They were all off last week. So this story came out of Louisiana, which is kind of like Florida in the bayou. And here up in New England, we have New Hampshire. But we don't have any funny New Hampshire stories. But this is a follow-up story. And if you remember last week, there was an article about a priest and two dominatrixes. And what was odd about that, it was a priest without an altar boy. And it was straight sex, which was kind of strange for a priest as well. And they were doing it on the church altar. And someone was passing by the church and saw the lights were on and peeked their head in the window. And after they videotaped some of it, I guess for their own pleasure, they called the cops. And so the two dominatrixes and the priest were all arrested. And so this is a follow-up story. This is from The Sun. The headline is, Dominatrix caught filming S&M porn video with priest at church altar suffering nightmares and panic attacks after arrest. Yes, folks, we have a very frail dominatrix on our hands. So let's dig right in. A dominatrix who was allegedly caught filming an S&M porn video with a priest at a church altar has revealed she is suffering nightmares and panic attacks following her shock arrest. Melissa Chang was booked last month for obscenity along with fellow performer Mindy Dixon, 41, and Louisiana priest Travis Clark, 37, after allegedly shooting a kinky session in the Saints Peter and Paul Roman Catholic Church in Pearl River. The adult star, 23, claims the incident has taken a significant toll on her mental and physical health after she was locked up and vilified. An unidentified witness reportedly saw the two corset-wearing dominatrixes having sex with Clark, who was half-naked with filming equipment set up on September 30th, cops said. Responding to supporters on her OnlyFans account, Melissa said, My privacy gets violated and I get in trouble. Maybe people shouldn't snoop in windows and then complain about what they see, especially at night. 
ridiculous, especially folks, if it's two dominatrices and a priest having sex. I'm so shaken up. I keep having nightmares and panic attacks and literally can't work on anything. I feel overwhelmed with anxiety from this ordeal. In a bio page on her GoFundMe account, Melissa also gave a detailed account of the trauma she is suffering, telling supporters, the fact that I am being vilified like this is quite frankly appalling. So yes, white boy Malcolm X, you can apparently go to Melissa's GoFundMe account and, and hand the dominatrix money for not getting spanked. Chang, known in the BDSM community as Empress Ming, hmm, charges, get this, $350 for one hour, $700 for two hours, and $1,050 for three hours, but she's having to ask fans for money as she takes time off from work. Melissa tweeted after her fundraiser was blocked, so I guess I take that back, you can't give her money. GoFundMe may have marginalized me as a sex worker or something of that nature, as my GoFundMe is currently under review and unable to withdraw funds. I hate being made to feel less than human and less than deserving of help and support when I currently need it most. The priest's contra- this gets better, listen to this. The priest's controversial actions prompted the Archdiocese of New Orleans to burn the church's altar. I wonder what was on that altar. They just couldn't get that thing dry cleaned. Archbishop Gregory Amon denounced Clark's alleged behavior in a Friday statement for WWL reported. And this is what he said. His obscene behavior was deplorable. His desecration of the altar in church was demonic. I am infuriated by his actions. So there you go, folks. That's the latest update on the dominatrix story with the priest. The church has burned the altar. (laughs) And and she's so frail. I mean, that's that's kind of a, quite frankly, I'm not paying $350 for a dominatrix who's going to have anxiety issues over over getting handcuffed and put in jail. That's what people pay her to do. Okay, that's that from Louisiana. This is from Queerty. Yes, yes, we are doing the gay stuff again. There's so much of it, White Boy Malcolm X. I can't tell you how many stories, I the gay stories I've got today. And they're all, they're all actually, have to say, pretty good. So we're just going to jump right in. Like I said, we've got a lot of stuff in the pile. Netflix just gave the go-ahead to the gay twilight. Netflix demonstrated its love of all things LGBTQ once again with the announcement that the streaming giant will partner with actress Emma Roberts for First Kill, a new vampire series dubbed The Gay Twilight. Entertainment Weekly reports that First Kill, which the magazine describes as a cross between Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Twilight, will run for an eight-episode season. Based on the short story by author V.E. Schwab, the story follows an ambitious lesbian vampire teen named Juliet who has her sights set on gaining power in a prominent vampire clan. Things get complicated when she falls hard for Calipi, a beautiful young woman who also happens to be a vampire hunter. I mean, to me, this just sounds like the gay version of, oh, what was that film? Uh, like a bunch of them. Uh, Underworld. Yes, thank you, White Boy Malcolm X, um, which was about a vampire. And I guess he was like a, a werewolf that hunted her. But it's kind of like a gay version of that. And let, let's be frank, though. Twilight was kind of gay <laughs> from the outset. I mean, that was that was a pretty gay-ass movie, if you ask me. Well, I don't know why they're redoing it. Speaking of redoing, this is an NBC News story. Brokeback Mountain adaptation to star all transgender cast. When Brokeback Mountain, which another stupid gay ass movie, if you ask me, 
When Brokeback Mountain hit theaters in 2005, it was a hallmark moment for LGBTQ cinema. The story of two lonesome cowboys finding love against the backdrop of the repressive early 1960s was seen by millions of moviegoers, earning critical praise and three Oscars. What wasn't discussed much of the time, though, was that none of the film's principals identified as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer. Not co-stars Heath Ledger or Jake Gyllenhaal, and not director Ang Lee or screenwriters Larry McNerdy or Diana Osana. Yes, that's right, folks, more gay for pay. Fifteen years later, as authentic representation is a greater part of the cultural conversation, Brokeback Mountain is returning to computer screens, this time with an all-transgender cast. A virtual staged reading of the film's script is set to stream online on Sunday, October 18th. White Boy Malcolm X, that is today. So figure out where that is. We're going to have to watch that. As part of NewFest, New York's annual LGBTQ film festival. The cast includes Brian Michael Smith as Jack Twist and Leo Shang as Enos Del Mar, with Jen Richards as Alma Beers and Alexandra Gray as Lorene Newsom. Brokeback to me is so much more about masculinity. I thought the only way we could do it is to make it specifically trans, said Gabby Dunn, who's producing the live reading with Carl St. Lucie. These characters are so trapped by the gender roles. Dunn, a Los Angeles-based writer, actor, and comedian, has been organizing hashtag Make It Gay virtual live reads throughout the pandemic, reimagining Hollywood Studios films like The Breakfast Club, Clue, and Ocean's Eleven with diverse, queer casts. I'm such a fan of film, but often when I watch the big-budget stuff like the Marvel movies, there's no one gay, she told NBC News. I wanted to find a way to give people a chance to excel in roles they'd never be given the chance to. That's especially true for trans actors, who are often overlooked or shunted into niche projects. I get frustrated when people say, oh, we can't find a trans actor to cast. Here they are. Here's an entire screen full of them, Dunn said. They can be in all these big Oscar bait movies, too, or in genre movies, or comedies. Where is my trans The Hangover? My trans Gravity? There is so much missed opportunity. Do you think so, White Boy Malcolm X? Do you think that Gravity with Sandra Bullock and George Clooney would have been a, a much better movie if one of them had been a trans character? That's, I think, now that I think about it, that's probably what, what was missing that would have made that film that much better, which was an amazing film, by the way. But if one of them had been trans, boom, that would have been a, a damn good movie. These people are not are not obsessed at all. But lucky for them, with the new Oscar rules, they're probably going to get their way. Because, like I said, what was that, a month or two ago? With the new Oscar rules, where you're going to have queens with clipboards just checking off all the minorities so that they can they can be Oscar eligible. Because you can't get an Oscar now, moving forward, unless you've got a very, very diverse cast of characters. So, <laughs> these queens. What are you again? Okay, I, gay. Okay, and are you Latinx? Okay, I'll check that box too. Oh, that's two. That's a two for us. Thank you so much. Okay, then. There's that. So tonight, White Boy Malcolm X, Trans Broke Back Mountain. Here is another trans story because these people are about as self-obsessed as it gets. Trans woman triumphantly changes name to Ellen Potter after sharing dead name with you-know-who's most famous wizard. For more than two decades, Ellen Potter, a trans woman, has seen the name she was assigned at birth plastered on film posters and book sleeves, on boxes of Lego, and even tattooed onto people's arms. So, I was born named Harry Potter, Ellen, a 24-year-old British citizen now based in Ohio, said on Twitter Sunday. 
It was just a coincidence, but it's been challenging going through life with a famous name. Anyway, I just got my legal name change approved. Her tweet quickly drew tens of thousands of likes from users who saw Ellen's legal name change as a bomb of sorts amid the stinging criticism leveled towards Rowling, who in recent months has gone from a mere stoop sitter to full-on commentariat when it comes to trans rights. A change that Ellen told Pink News was heartbreaking. Joanne was an idol from my childhood who in many ways has shaped my whole life, she said. It's been so hard seeing her turn into somebody so vehemently opposed to my identity and that of so many other Harry Potter fans. Okay, I am, I'm just bored with this. I am. I am every week. Every week is a new story. It's because this one goes on. I mean, this article is probably another page and all she does is kind of bash J.K. Rowling like they all do every week. It's virtue signaling for the transgender community. How can I, how can I come out and like get on Twitter and just trash J.K. Rowling and show how how strong I am and unfearful of her raging transphobia. Like everyone else. Corridor of misery, despair, and crime. Guardian angels patrol New York City's Chelsea neighborhood. And folks, if you don't know, Chelsea is one of the gayborhoods in New York City. The guard, Yes, and so now the guardian angels are being sent in. The Guardian Angels have been patrolling Chelsea, the third Manhattan neighborhood the crime prevention group has descended upon this year. These are places, if you would have ever suggested years ago they need Guardian Angels, they would have said, you're out of your mind. Well, now they do, said founder Curtis Sliwa. Sliwa and other volunteers began walking the Chelsea area September 29th, not long after police said a grocery store manager was viciously attacked there by a deranged homeless man, ABC7 reported. Sliwa said his volunteers soon learned there were other problems in the neighborhood, including a corridor of misery, despair, and crime on 20th and 21st Streets between 7th and 8th Avenues where people are selling drugs, shooting up, emotionally disturbed. So, Curtis, in, in all fairness, I have to say, people selling drugs, shooting up, emotionally disturbed, it technically could not be just regular crime. It could be a bunch of queens getting ready to go to a circuit party. So don't always just assume my friend, that it's, it's, it's criminal activity. I cannot believe six months, New York city has gone to hell in six months. You look at, you had eight years of Giuliani, you had 12 years of Bloomberg, and now you have, you've had this slow decline with de Blasio as mayor over the last say three years and six months, it's gone like, it's just like, it's like a nosedive straight down into hell. What I mean, it's a shame. I used to love going into New York, and I was thinking about moving there a couple of years ago. God, I'm so glad I didn't, and I'm not going to be back there for, for quite some time, I guess. This is from The Hill. Barrett says she didn't mean to offend LGBTQ community with the term sexual preference. Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett, and if you don't know who that is, that's that nerdy Catholic with the dogma living deep within her said she didn't mean to offend the LGBTQ community with the term sexual preference during her second day of confirmation hearings on Tuesday. Barrett apologized, saying she didn't mean to cause any offense in the LGBT community with her remarks in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. The nominee used the term when Senator Dianne Feinstein, the committee's ranking member, asked whether the Constitution protects gay people's right to marry. Barrett didn't directly answer the senator's question, but she said she has never discriminated on the basis of sexual preference and would not ever discriminate on the basis of sexual preference. Later Tuesday, Senator Maisie Hirano from Hawaii confronted the nominee about her use of the phrase sexual preference. Even though you didn't give a direct answer, 
I think your response did speak volumes, Hirono said. Not once, but twice you used the term sexual preference to describe those in the LGBTQ community. And let me be clear, sexual preference is an offensive and outdated term, she added. It is used by anti-LGBTQ activists to suggest that sexual orientation is a choice. The Hawaii senator said labeling sexual orientation as both a normal expression of human sexuality and immutable was a key part of the majority's opinion in Obergefell versus Hodges, the 2015 decision that legalized same-sex marriage in the U.S. So, White Boy Malcolm X, were you offended at that term? Well, I was not either. It is. I'm not going to disagree. It is kind of an outdated term, but I was not offended. And it's not really even that outdated because it really depends. Because I was thinking, what about bisexuals? Because for bisexuals, they'll do anyone. So one day they have a preference for a guy and another day they'll have a preference for a girl. And another day they might have a preference for, you know, a transgender, whatever. So they do have, have preferences, I would say. I tell you what, these hysterical queens are, are grasping at straws over this one. So, playing the victim again. She used the term sexual preference, and it's so hateful and offensive to me. Whatever. This is an interesting story. Listen to this. Here's the headline. Long Island restaurateur allegedly beat and hurled gay slurs at staffer. And this is from the New York Post. A Long Island restaurateur berated and beat a gay employee in front of other staffers after he wore the wrong shoes to work, slugging him so hard a tooth flew from his mouth as he barked, effing faggot, I'll murder you, according to a new federal lawsuit. (laughs) What queen wears the wrong shoes to work? That's what we're known for. Good footwear. On November 15th, 2019, Emilio's Pizzeria and Restaurante owner Emilio Branchinelli, who has launched at least five Long Island eateries in the last decade, noticed that waiter Michael Abinetti was wearing black Converse sneakers, according to the complaint filed in Brooklyn Federal Court on Friday. Branchinelli ordered the server, who was hired at the Kamak restaurant in late 2017, to buy new shoes on his break or find another effing job, wrote attorney John Luke Jr. in the complaint. But when Abinetti returned with a new pair, an enraged Branchinelli told him they were not the right shoes. You look like an effing homo mountain climber. (laughs) Are you effing stupid, his boss allegedly admonished. You and your blank mother both should have died when she pushed you out. And blank mother, it's, well, what do you say? See you next Tuesday. So it rhymes with runt. So you and your blank mother, damn, he was unhappy about those shoes. The disturbing tirade continued as Branchinelli chased the waiter from the restaurant, allegedly kicking him in the lower back and punching him in the face so hard he spit out a tooth, the complaint alleges. After the humiliating assault, Abinetti never returned to the restaurant where he allegedly faced harassment and discrimination from the moment he was hired. The kitchen staff allegedly called him culero, a Spanish slur for a homosexual, and whistled at him, blew him kisses, and slapped his behind the paper's allege. He repeatedly complained to management, but nothing was done, the filing states. Oh, this gets worse, White Boy Malcolm X. Waitress Sabrina Kaminsky, who was hired in June 2019, was another victim of sexual harassment and discrimination while employed at the restaurant, according to the suit. She was subjected to groping and a barrage of sickening comments from the kitchen staff, including, I want to put a baby inside you, and you like it in the ass, the lawsuit charges. What kind of... Dumpster fire restaurant was this. Emilio's Pizzeria and Restaurante. 
Good Lord. White Boy Magamax, I have a question for you because I don't care about the woman. You know, we're not going to worry about that. But in the scheme of victimhood, who's going to win this battle, right? Because you have the gay waiter who apparently cannot pick out a pair of shoes, so he should probably lose his gay card if what Emilio is saying is true. Or you've got the Latinx staff. So you've got gay versus Latino. So we got to figure out who's going to be, who's the bigger, you think the gay guy is the bigger victim there. Interesting. Well, we know, you don't know. We just, we don't know right now. So we'll have to figure that out in, once this thing gets to court. This is a New York Times book review, which I normally wouldn't read, but this one's an interesting one, actually, I have to say. And the book that they're reviewing is called The Tragedy of Heterosexuality by Jane Ward. And you can buy it for $26.95 if you want. So here's the book review. If the insight fallacy Chen cites is the mistaken belief that understanding a problem will solve it, straightness, Ward thinks, is perhaps the most misunderstood sexual orientation of all. The tragedy of heterosexuality wastes absolutely no time getting to the point, but while many of the sentences, including the title, made me laugh out loud, it is at heart a somber, urgent academic examination of the many ways in which opposite-sex coupling can hurt the very individuals who cling to it most. Ward distinguishes straightness as a practice from straight culture, which is at the very heart of society's most disgraceful failures. It is not, as one popular joke goes, that straight people are not okay. I've never even heard of that joke. Have you? I don't know what it is. It is that heteronormativity creates a powerful, privileged form of sexuality against which, historically and currently, all other forms are compared. Folks, you better sit down for this. I'm just telling you. Get your smell and salts out and sit down for this next sentence. In examining the pressure to partner with the opposite gender, we find the extortions of capitalism, the misogyny of violence against women, the racist and xenophobic erasure of non-white families, and the homophobic hatreds that pervade so much of everyday life. Dear God, anything else? I mean, could they have thrown anything else in? Capitalism, massage, blah, blah, blah. Mercy. Our desires may feel beyond our control, but Ward stresses the importance of understanding sexuality as self-identified. One of the foundational principles of lesbian feminism is that each person's sexual desire is their own responsibility, Ward writes. If not something they can choose, then at least something they can choose to examine and take ownership of. As such, she argues, a queer theory, whatever that is, might be just the thing to rescue heterosexuality from its unearned hegemony in our shared cultural imagination. So we've been complaining here, folks, about all the white privilege, and that was based on the book White Fragility. So now we have to deal with straight privilege and hetero-oppressiveness, the tragedy of heterosexuality. Mercy. Mercy me. And on that note, I'm just going to put that down. (laughs) I don't know what to say about that. It's just nutty. This is from the Daily Mail. Macho father who wanted son to be boxer reveals how he accepted 11-year-old's dream to perform as UK's youngest drag queen after dressing up in his mother's clothes aged eight. When Fabian Butler was born, his loving dad Darren held him and dreamed of the man he would grow up to be, how he would play football with him and teach him how to box, just like he loved as a child. But by age eight, the youngster from Gwent, South Wales, had ditched the sports fields and told his horrified father that he wanted to dress up in his mom's clothes. (laughs) 
Trying everything in his power to talk his son out of this latest phase, Darren felt uncomfortable about what his friends would think about his son's alter ego. Now aged 11, Fabian performs as one of the country's youngest drag queens as alter ego Francesca Valley, and Darren happily takes him to gigs and even helps him choose his outfits. Darren, a machine operator, said, I was the opposite when I was younger. When you have your first boy, you have expectations. I used to box as a kid, so I always hoped he would grow up and want to pursue boxing. I would take him to play football with me, and you could see that it wasn't for him. When he started dressing up, I was in denial. I just thought it was kids being kids at <laughs> like that. <laughs> wasn't kids being kids when I was growing up. I just thought he was going through a phase, but when I spoke to my wife about it and realized that it wasn't a phase, I was hurt. She persuaded me to go to his first performance. I really didn't want to go, but as soon as I saw how happy he was on stage, I could see how much it meant to him. It brought a tear to my eye, and I realized he can't live his life through my eyes. He has to live his dream, not my dreams. I am the proudest dad in the world. Aw, see, that's very, that's very heartwarming, White Boy Malcolm X. And, and the guy even helps, helps his son pick out his clothes. But look, I mean, seriously, look at this. Exactly. This kid, he, how do I describe it? He looks like a hooker. He looks like a cheap, you watch these movies from like the 1980s and the stereotypical hooker with the sequins and the short, this is what this kid looks like. He looks like a cheap hooker. So dad's, dad, if you're going to be a drag queen, at least be a classy drag queen. I don't know what it is with the, the default for drag queens is, is road whore, but there you go. Kid's 11 years old and he dresses like a prostitute. <laughs> There's a lot of news out of England this week. It's just the way it is. I guess all the, the U.S. gays are being boring this week. Thousands of queer men sign up for PrEP after historic rollout, but sexual health advocates warn some risk being left behind. More than 6,000 people have signed up to just a single PrEP provider in London since the HIV preventative drug was rolled out across England on the NHS. Since 1 October, 6,000 people have signed up for PrEP at 5016 Street, Europe's busiest sexual health clinic. Leave it to the British. The daily drug is the most effective protection against HIV transmission. But the long-awaited rollout may not be the fabled silver bullet for curtailing HIV transmissions if health officials do not ensure PrEP is distributed fairly to all. 50 of Britain's top sexual health charities and organizations also warned. People of color, women, and trans folk, among others, will be left behind in accessing PrEP if the government does not act, they said. That's right, folks. There are too many white people on PrEP. You know what it is? It's all... All those queens, those circuit party queens. They're like, let's get on the prep. Let's 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 go out and have some fun. Oh well, too bad. And that's all the gay stories. I don't have a lot of race stories today. They're kind of boring, to be frank with you. Uh, speaking of uh, minorities missing out, though, this is an ABC News story. It's, it's apparently not just prep. Stocks are soaring, and most black people are missing out. So prep is being stolen by all the white queens, and uh, the other white people are stealing all the stocks. Americans who own stocks are pulling farther away from those who don't, as Wall Street roars back to record heights while much of the economy struggles. And black households are much more likely to be in that not-as-fortunate group that isn't in the stock market. Only 33.5% of black households own stock in 2019, according to data released recently by the Federal Reserve. Among white households, the ownership rate is nearly 61%. Hispanic and other minority households are also less likely than white families to own stock. Many reasons are behind the split. No, folks, there's only one reason. Systemic racism. Everyone knows that. 
Experts say chief among them is a long-standing preference by many black investors for safer places to put their money, the legacy, some say, of decades of discrimination and fear, systemic racism. Also, many were never taught what they were missing out on. We didn't have a grandfather or aunt or uncle or mom and dad educating us on the markets because they didn't benefit from it because of historical discrimination in this country, said John Rogers, founder and co-CEO of Aerial Investments. Black people have also lacked the opportunity to build up wealth, park it in the market, and watch it grow over time. In general, they have lower incomes, which leaves less money to invest after paying bills. Many also work jobs that don't offer retirement plans like a 401k. But researchers say that even wealthier black households are much less likely to own stocks than their white counterparts. This means they missed out on roughly 260% returns for S&P 500 funds over the last decade and the resulting chance to see their wealth grow. The typical black family has less than $13 in wealth for every $100 held by the typical white family. Don't worry, Joe Biden will take care of that. Lower rates of stock ownership are a small reason why. The most important factor may be the restricted access black borrowers had to mortgages and affordable housing through decades of redlining and other discriminatory practices, says Raphael Bostic, president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, in a recent speech. Okay, then. Thank you, ABC News, for another, yet another article, one of many every week that go on and on about how black people are getting screwed by systemic racism. Gee, how original. Here's more doom and gloom. How the finance industry can combat racism. And we talked about this a couple times because Citibank declared itself a racist institution and decided it was just going to rain money down on, on everyone to kind of buy their way out of it. But apparently this is a bigger problem than just Citibank. And this is from Fortune. Amid the unrest, anger, and outrage at the sheer injustice of systemic racism, Amy Cooper and Tom Austin are just two examples of white people using their privilege in an attempt to control black people who dare to exert personal agency in shared spaces. After being called out publicly, Cooper lost her job and Austin lost his office lease. And Amy Cooper, I believe, white boy Malcolm X, is Central Park Karen, the lady who called the police on some guy who was bird watching and asked her to put her stupid dog on a leash. But I, I don't know who Tom Austin is. Do you? He lost his lease, but whatever. Why point out these incidents instead of the thousands of other examples? Because while both apologized and stated, I'm not a racist, they had tremendous influence in the finance industry through their leadership positions. There are real questions as to how these implicit biases influenced hiring, advancement, and access to capital at their firms. Their actions in these movements provide a spotlight on how decisions are made in their institutions. In an industry overwhelmingly driven by personal networks, relationships, and opaque decision-making processes, and dominated by pedigree, the personal quickly becomes and remains structural. In this system, decision-makers give preference to peers and managers who look like them. Bunch of racists. These decision-makers think they have to choose between performance and diversity, when in fact they might actually be undermining their fiduciary responsibility by not prioritizing diversity and inclusion. This reality is highlighted in an Illumin Capital study that concludes racial bias could potentially result not only in the unfair treatment of fund managers of color and their grantees, but also in leaving significant financial opportunities on the table, thus hurting the entire financial ecosystem. I actually have a story, which I'm not even going to read, but it's it's kind of similar. It's, it's from Fox Business. Ava DuVernay says Hollywood losing millions for lack of diversity might move people to change. And it just talks about a lack of diversity on film and behind the cameras costs movies money. Studios can lose tons of money by not having uh, more, more people of color. 
Anyway, let's pick back up on the Fortune article. Let's be clear, we haven't found ourselves in this predicament. The disparities in access, opportunity, and valuation of performance are the result of intentional decisions that have accumulated advantage and disadvantage along the lines of race. Dismantling the barriers that have resulted requires naming and addressing the truth of systemic racism. As Ibram X. Kendi has shared in his groundbreaking book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, claiming that you're not racist is not enough. We must move in a way that is anti-racist and confront features holding the system in place. And they list a couple of things you can do to, to fix things in the finance community. But, but folks, we don't need that because, listen to this headline, University Hosts 12-Step Recovery Program for whiteness. So we are going to help folks get you and the finance community out of hot water. The University of Minnesota hosted a webinar series aimed at helping white participants recover and learn about their ties to white supremacy. UMN School of Social Work recently offered a virtual lecture using a 12-step program like that used by Alcoholics Anonymous in order to help white people recover and reclaim our full humanity. The lecture titled Recovering from White Conditioning is taught by school alumnus and therapist Christina Combs and was hosted by the School Center for Practice Transformation. The program is a creation by Combs, a white woman who spent years of struggling to navigate the role and presence of whiteness in her personal, academic, and professional journeys, according to the university's website. I am on traditional Dakota land, Combs began her lecture referring to the land and the Native American tribe that settled in Minnesota. Combs also mentioned George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and all the other lives stolen from families and communities in our world due to police brutality and state-sanctioned violence before going on to explain the goal of the lecture, which was to decenter whiteness. What comes to mind when you hear the term white supremacy, she asked participants. She then answered the question by displaying a slide showing the face of white supremacy with images of Ku Klux Klan members, white nationalists in Charlottesville, Virginia, and then even of herself. When BIPOC activists would use the term white supremacy to talk about the systems that needed to change and the work that white people needed to do, my instinct was to recoil. It felt like too hard or too raw of a word, and I didn't like it. And I ultimately realized that that is my ego, she said. Stepping into that tension and accepting my connection to white supremacy has been a freedom of sorts to show up in better alignment with my values and do the work for the rest of my life, Combs added. We have been socially conditioned. White supremacy is in us. It will always be here. We will always have to work against it in this journey of transformation, Combs explained as she went through each step. Do you want to hear why? I guess we're all in the clan. I guess once you're born, if you're born white, you just are automatically assumed to be in the clan. Do you want to hear the 12 steps, white boy Malcolm X? Because I think this is very important for us. Here are the steps, folks. Step number one, we admitted that we have been socially conditioned by the ideology of white supremacy. Step two, we came to believe that we could embrace our ignorance as an invitation to learn. Step three, we developed support systems to keep us engaged in this work. Step four, we journeyed boldly inward, exploring and acknowledging ways in which white supremacist teachings have been integrated into our minds and spirits. And with this step, folks, you also get a worksheet to look at how white supremacy has negatively impacted topics such as my understanding of history, my social network, how I interact with people of color, and microaggressions I perpetrate. Step five, we confessed our mistakes and failings to ourselves and others. Step six, we were entirely ready to deconstruct previous ways of knowing as they had been developed through the lens of white supremacy. Seven is we humbly explored new ways of understanding, proactively seeking out new learning and reconstructing a more inclusive sense of reality. 
Eight, we committed ourselves to ongoing study of our racial biases, conscious or unconscious, and our maladaptive patterns of white supremacist thinking. Good God. We're almost done, folks. I'm not, okay, I'm done. I'm not even going to read the rest of them. They're kind of, this reminds me, White Boy Malcolm X, of last week's article with the BIPOC folks over at, what was it, Ohio State, screaming at the, the poor white professor writes an article about how college football can bring us all together, and they just, they screamed racism at him, so then he apologized, and they doubled down on calling him an even bigger racist because his apology was just so infested with white supremacy. I I don't know what to say to this. This is kind of nutty, but this is re- <laughs> this is reality. All these white people throwing themselves under the bus for in the name of social justice and you know virtue signaling. I, I guess this makes things better on when you're on a college campus that you can just. You know, if you're white, you have to kind of whip yourself really hard all day, every day, or you're going to catch a lot of flack. So who knows what, what, what this was born of. Can can you see, though, white boy Malcolm X? Can you see? Because <laughs> you know what goes on and what starts at a college campus never quite stays on a college campus. In fact, that's what Portland is now. It's a rather large college campus with a bunch of bratty kids running around burning everything down. But can you see one of these days? You have some like white person like I'm like okay come in and they'll be like ah uh, yes I'm 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 working the uh, twelve steps for, for for whiteness and I I wanted to talk to you about that because maybe you you Miller you you could benefit from that as well I'd be like uh no thank you I'm I'm good thank you oh well you know you you perpetuate uh, systemic racism if if you don't work the 12 steps i i've worked it with all my my black friends and my latinx friends and and they think i'm i'm such a much better person now because i i acknowledge my white supremacy and i i i, I bow over to them now i'm such a better white person than you okay okay thank you very much Fox News story promoter for portland's day of rage wants to abolish colonial systems report says Social media posts have added additional challenges to Portland police. The Twitter handle, Generational Resistance, which promoted Sunday night's Day of Rage in Portland that resulted in the toppling of two statues and damage to several buildings, said its ultimate goal is to decolonize society by working to abolish colonial systems rooted in racism, a report said. The Oregonian newspaper wrote a lengthy article about the group that started mentioning the protests a day earlier. The paper said the city is having difficulty getting a grip on protesters because the social media allows them to organize quickly and coordinate. The report said one of the instructions on Sunday was that videos and photos were not allowed. Andy Ngo, a journalist who has been documenting the unrest in the city, posted images of Sunday's destruction on Twitter. No posted a video of protesters toppling a statue of Teddy Roosevelt, which depicted the former president riding on horseback. The video showed a rope tied around the statue, and protesters could be heard cheering when the statue shifted. One person could be heard saying, F all you colonizers. Every one of you that's against Black Lives Matter can F the F off. So I'm I'm assuming that's just some hysterical white woman. After toppling the statues, the crowd smashed windows at the Oregon Historical Society and later moved to the Portland State University Campus Public Safety Office. The paper said the protest, which resulted in three people being taken into custody, was billed online as the Indigenous People's Day of Rage and took place the evening before Columbus Day. The paper said it had reached out to Generational Resistance members and was issued a statement through its Twitter handle Monday night that read, We stand to decolonize ourselves and decolonize society by working to abolish colonial systems rooted in racism and build community rooted in liberation. 
So again, more hysterical white people throwing themselves onto the bus <laughs> to please their, you know, they have like their token black friends. They have to like riot and show them how, how socially, politically correct they are. You know, this reminds me white boy Malcolm X. Because, you know, it's, it is a bunch of dopey white, white kids running around playing rioters. So you got the hysterical white chicks who do, who do it. And then they got the dopey, because everyone knows that white liberal men are a bunch of pansied pajama boys. <laughs> Remember Commander Red? I wonder what happened to Commander Red. And folks, if you don't know who Commander Red was, he was one of these kind of pansy pajama boy Antifa types running around protesting. And I forgot even where it was, but he had like a flamethrower. He was some ginger kid who called himself Commander Red. He had like a flamethrower on him. And the police busted him and he just started crying like a little bitch when they got him on the ground. <laughs> That's all you got. If they sent the if the police actually were able to do their jobs... All these little pansy kids would piss themselves and they would stop, but they don't. So this is what you get. More hysterical white kids playing mob. This is from CBS LA. Feds arrest rapper who bragged about getting rich from filing EDD claims in music video. <laughs> of course, this is in Los Angeles. A rapper who bragged in a YouTube music video about getting rich from an unemployment scam was arrested Friday on federal charges of fraudulently applying for more than $1.2 in jobless benefits, the Department of Justice officials said. Fontrell Antonio Baines, 31, of Memphis, Tennessee, is known online as Nuke Bizzle. Federal officials say he is currently a resident in the Hollywood Hills and is expected to make his first court appearance Friday afternoon in U.S. District Court in downtown Los Angeles. He lives in Hollywood Hills, white boy Malcolm X, so you know he's been stealing a lot of money because that is not a cheap place to live. Baines was arrested September 23rd by Las Vegas police and was found to be in possession of eight EDD debit cards, seven of which were in the names of other people, according to an affidavit filed with a criminal complaint against Baines. In the video, which apparently was posted on September 11th, prosecutors said Baines rapped about doing my swagger for EDD and getting rich by going to the bank with a stack of these while holding up several envelopes from EDD. A second man in the video raps, you got to sell cocaine, I just file a claim. <laughs> okay, then. The criminal complaint alleges Baines exploited the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Provision of the Federal Coronavirus Relief or CARES Act that was supposed to expand unemployment benefits to freelancing gig workers. According to the affidavit, the investigation turned up at least 92 EDD debit cards preloaded with more than $1.2 million in fraudulently obtained benefits mailed to addresses that Baines had access to in Beverly Hills and Koreatown. Federal investigators said Baines and his co-schemers allegedly withdrew and spent more than $704,000 in cash from these cards. Well, this, folks, I think is just is racist to arrest. What's, what's this? Nuke Bizzle. Nuke Bizzle and his pals. Folks, this is literally, all this is, is just, is a down payment on reparations. <laughs> so, White Boy Malcolm X, I, I hope they eventually realize and see the error of their ways. And, and they free Nuke Bizzle. That's another one we have to keep an eye out on. This, folks, is a Boston Globe story. And here's the headline. Joe Kennedy III campaign says it improperly spent $1.5 million in Senate primary. And if you don't know who Joe Kennedy III is on this show, he is known as Ginger Kennedy and he is also the only Kennedy to ever lose an election in the state of Massachusetts. The campaign of Representative Joseph P. Kennedy III said Friday that it had improperly spent $1.5 million in donations intended for the general election during the final weeks of his bitter and ultimately unsuccessful primary challenge to Senator Edward J. Markey, known on this show as Tweedledum Markey. And who is Tweedledee? That's Pocahontas. 
The spending was a clear violation of federal campaign finance rules, which prohibit candidates from using general election money on expenses for the primary. In a statement to The Globe, Kennedy said he did not know the campaign had been improperly spending general election funds during the primary and that the violation came to his attention shortly after the September 1 election. Kennedy said he reimbursed his campaign with $1.5 million of his own money in late September to cover all the improperly spent funds. White Boy Malcolm X, can you see Dopey Ginger Kennedy? Uh, I like, I like, I didn't know about that and stuff. And um, if I did know, I, I like, I didn't know it was, you know, like improper spending and stuff. So I, I'm not going to go like totally get my checkbook out and like totally write that $1.5 million check. And we'll just make this go away and stuff. Okay, then. $1.5 million, and he just wrote that check. I don't even know what the Kennedys, Kennedys have done in the last two or three generations, but crap like that. Greta Thunberg mocks Barrett for not having views on climate change. And if you don't know who Greta Thunberg is, she's this angry little Euro chick who screeches about the environment. Look at her, White Boy Malcolm X. She, I, seriously, she's like... And this is not a physical appearance thing. She's just an ugly human being. <laughs> She's just always scowling, angry. Arr. I don't know how you get to be that angry at that age. I mean, huh? Well, yes, she's a teenage girl. And, and all teenagers are cranky. And teenage girls are especially cranky. But this one, man, it's like like anger on steroids with her. Greta Thunberg on Thursday called out Supreme Court nominee Judge Amy Coney Barrett, who is that nerdy Catholic with the dogma living deep within her, for being neutral on climate change. To be fair, I don't have any views on climate change either, just like I don't have any views on gravity, the fact that the Earth is round, photosynthesis, nor evolution, but understanding and knowing their existence really makes life in the 21st century so much easier, the 17-year-old environmentalist tweeted Thursday. Oh, a teenager with sarcasm. Oh, how original, Greta. You go, girl. You go. Thunberg endorsed Harris along with former Vice President Joe Biden for president earlier this month, saying that the upcoming election is beyond politics. <laughs> and she's a stupid teenager, too. From a climate perspective, it's very far from enough. And many of you, of course, supported other candidates. But I mean, you know, damn, just get organized and get everyone to vote. Hashtag Biden, she tweeted. You know, she will. I mean, she's 17, so give her another year. She'll be, uh, she'll be get up back on her yacht, whatever yacht brought her to New York the last time she wanted to do her, like, drama queen act. She can get back on the yacht and come back over to New York, and then she can riot with the rest of <laughs> the dopey white chick. Seven-year-old sexually assaulted during online class in Chicago. Leave it to Chicago. A seven-year-old girl was sexually assaulted during a remote learning session in Chicago on Thursday in front of a teacher, a report said. The girl was seen by a teacher live online performing a sex act on a male offender while dialed into an online learning application for Bronzeville Academy Charter School, WGN reported. The teacher, who was working at the school at the time, reported the assault to a principal, the outlet said. School administrators told the news station that they don't believe other students saw the assault. The city's Department of Children and Family Services was also investigating, but no charges have been filed. Of course not. I'm not even going to make a joke about this, but I was just—I saw this article and I was thinking about the teacher who like logs in, and there's a seven-year-old blowing some some guy. 
Oh, I mean, I got nothing on this one. Uh, a a seven-year guy having a seven-year-old blow him. You know, he's going to have fun in prison. Getting enough sleep isn't considered manly study finds because that's how literally exhausting toxic masculinity is. I, I tell you what, white boy Malcolm X, this week has just been nothing but whipping people for being white, whipping people for being straight, and now we're going to whip people for being men. If you thought toxic masculinity couldn't get any worse, think again. Being sleep deprived is now considered a manly quality. According to research published in the Journal of the Association for Consumer Research, a combination of six studies have found that sleeping less is related to increased perceptions of masculinity and increased masculinity is related to decreased perceived sleep amounts. As well as this, based on how much they sleep, men face social judgments favoring men who sleep less. Men who got less sleep were viewed as being less assertive, individualistic, and goal-oriented, and these judgments also caused men to judge themselves by the stereotype as well. One of the studies asked men how it felt to say the words, I sleep a lot more than the average person, and found that they felt significantly less manly than those who were asked to say the words, I sleep a lot less than the average person. Once again, toxic masculinity has proved to be just that. Inadequate sleep has been connected to a wide range of detrimental physical, mental, and social health outcomes, including increased instances of heart attack, diabetes, depression, and interpersonal violence, researchers Nathan Warren and Troy Campbell wrote. They added, men often choose to tough it out by avoiding feminine associations with healthcare. Despite the severe consequences for men's health, demonstrating stoic toughness allows men to display stereotypically masculine and agentic traits of strength, independence, autonomy, and resilience. So men, if you're listening out there, start acting like a pansy boy and get more sleep. This is from Fox 5 New York, and this is what you get with a bunch of millennials running around. Cow hugging is the new animal therapy trend we all need. Therapy animals are not a new concept, but in a world where mental health is being tested by an ongoing pandemic, people are searching for comfort in it in what might seem like unusual places. A practice that originated in the rural town of Ruver in the Netherlands, Koknuffelen, which means cow hugging in Dutch, is gaining global popularity, <laughs> according to a BBC report. It's not just the act of hugging a cow that helps relieve stress and lower anxiety, but making contact with any furry critter could help improve one's mental health. Cows are the optimal cuddling buddy, and it's not just because they're adorable. Cow cuddling is believed to promote positivity and reduce stress by boosting oxycontin in humans, the hormone released in social bonding. The calming effect of curling up with a pet or emotional support animal, it seems, are accentuated when cuddling with larger mammals, according to the BBC. You know, in my day... And I never did this, so don't yell at me for for saying it. But in my day, they used to do cow tipping. They used to, like, sneak up on a cow and tip it over, which is not good for the cow. Apparently, it can hurt them. I never did it, but they used to have cow tipping. And now, instead of a bunch of dopey kids running out and pushing the cow over, you got a bunch of dopey kids going out there. And can you give me a hug, Mr. Cow? And can you take a picture of me so I can just get this on my Instagram? Cow hugging. And I have nothing more to say on that. All right, moving on, moving on. So last week we had that article from Yelp, or about Yelp rather, um, where Yelp was going to take it upon themselves with the social justice movement of today to label restaurants as racist if they could tie it to a legitimate, quote-unquote, legitimate news article from like you know CNN or MSNBC or, or Vox or something like that so they could 
call you racist and they could slap it on your business. They would. So I saw this and it's not a racism story, but it is a Yelp story. And so I thought I would throw that into the mix. Police brutal Yelp reviews prompted attack. And this one, folks, this story, I'm going to actually have to apologize to my summit mistress because it looks like it. Well, from this one and the one after, it looks like the folks in Florida are more than making up for taking last week off. So last week, it was the pervert priest and the two dominatrixes in Louisiana. This week, I got a couple of Florida stories that Florida's like, uh-uh, we're not having this. We're back on top. We're going to show you white trash. So this is the first of two stories on that. Incensed over a pair of scathing reviews on Yelp, the owner of a Florida barbecue joint last night allegedly physically attacked his suspected online critic, according to cops who arrested the restaurant tour. And let's be, let's face it, folks, anyone who owns a barbecue joint is probably a racist anyway, so Yelp needs to get on that quickly. Investigators charged that Daniel Aaron, 60, jumped atop the male victim and struck him several times while outside a residence in Largo, a city in the Tampa Bay area. According to an arrest affidavit, the confrontation Tuesday evening began when the victim, whose name has been redacted by police, arrived at the Largo home. The 25-year-old victim is the son of Aaron's girlfriend. So I guess Daniel Aaron's beat up his girlfriend's son. The victim, cops reported, sought to speak with his mother about threatening communication sent to him by Aaron's. In addition to the text, Aaron's allegedly called the man several times in regards to wanting to beat his ass about a restaurant review. Are you ready for this, white boy Malcolm X? Listen. <laughs> a pair of brutal Yelp reviews published Monday disparaged the food at Georgia Boys Barbecue, the restaurant owned by Aaron's. Reviewer Sean R. claimed that he wouldn't even feed it to my dog, adding that the eatery's owner should spend less time threatening customers and more time on learning to cook properly. The second review, authored by Rick R., declared that it was not a great idea to threaten your customers due to you serving garbage barbecue. The arrest affidavit does not indicate whether Aaron's thought the victim authored the Yelp reviews or was somehow involved in their posting. Police charged that when the victim's mother opened the door, Aaron shoved his way past and started to chase the victim around in the road. Eventually, after the victim tripped and fell to the ground, Aaron's copple edge jumped on top of him and struck him several times while the victim covered his face with his arms. Heavens, now that is a family drama. <laughs> That's going to be an interesting Thanksgiving, I'll tell you what. So Daniel Aarons beat his girlfriend's son because his son is allegedly Sean R. and Rick R. in posting nasty reviews about his racist garbage barbecue. Oh, but this is not, before I fold this story up, this is not the only time Mr. Aarons has been on the bad side of the law because, let's face it, folks, this is Florida. Aarons was arrested in July on multiple felony counts after allegedly punching his girlfriend in the face and placing a pillow over her face for two minutes. He was also accused of threatening the woman with a wooden board that he used to strike her vehicle. In a plea deal, Aaron's cop last month to criminal mischief, a misdemeanor, and was fined $575 and credited for the 11 days he spent in the county jail before bonding out. Wow. Okay, then. I'm not going to say anything on that. Florida Part 2. Felony rap for woman, 46, who sought oral favors. A Florida woman, of course a Florida woman, is behind bars for allegedly attacking her 69-year-old boyfriend after he refused to perform a sex act on her. According to cops, Katana Jordan, 46, was arrested following a 3 a.m. disturbance yesterday inside the Largo residence she shares with her victim, Jordan's longtime boyfriend. The man told police that he had been arguing with Jordan in reference to defendants <laughs> smoking crack. Of course, it's Florida. Jordan, the man charged, was hot, 
before I get, hold on, White Boy Michael Max. I know you're gay, <laughs> but assuming you're not, would you go down on her? Woof. Folks, she is rough. I don't blame the guy. The guy would be like, uh, no, no, thank you, honey. I don't think I'm going to perform oral sex on your crack-ridden vajayjay there. Okay, let's pick back up on the story. Jordan, the man charged, was high and began yelling at him to perform oral sex. The victim, however, declined Jordan's request, prompting her to allegedly begin hitting and scratching him. The man, cops noted, sustained several small lacerations, which appeared to have been caused by fingernails. She was a nasty little crack whore. Jordan fled the residence before cops arrived, but she was apprehended with the aid of canine tracking units. <laughs> man, I bet those canines in Florida have plenty, plenty of experience tracking <laughs> tracking that crack whore. They're probably like, follow that crack. Jordan claimed that she had defended herself after being choked by her boyfriend. Jordan was charged with felony domestic battery as well as grand theft for allegedly stealing the victim's cell phone. Now, if you thought, what's his name here? If you thought that Daniel Ahrens had a, had a rap sheet, listen to this chick, the crack whore. Court records show that Jordan's rap sheet includes convictions for aggravated assault, welfare fraud, cocaine possession, battery, theft, grand theft, obstruction, trespassing, marijuana possession, violating an order of protection, and possession of drug paraphernalia. Additionally, in separate incidents, because this is Florida, Jordan has been arrested for striking her pregnant daughter, hitting her brother-in-law in the head with a thrown iron, and smacking her boyfriend, the same man identified as the victim in the current case, with a glass vase. In all three matters, prosecutors declined to pursue charges against Jordan. Well, hell, she doesn't even have to go to Portland to not, not get charges pressed against her. She has been beaten the hell. She hit a pregnant woman. She hit her brother-in-law with an iron. And she hit her boyfriend with a vase. Nothing, nothing has been prosecuted. Damn. That chick is crazy. Archbishop of San Francisco performs exorcism where statue was toppled by protesters. And those folks... Those were mostly peaceful protesters. Let's let's just be frank about this. These were mostly peaceful protesters, and the statue just toppled itself, I assume. The Archbishop of San Francisco performed an exorcism where dozens of protesters had toppled the statue of a controversial saint. Well, with seriously, they were toppling. If it was a statue, they toppled it. If Even if, if, if there was a, a statue of Antifa, they would have toppled that thing, too. Archbishop Salvador Cordelione sprinkled holy water and said prayers in Latin Saturday at the site of the fallen statue of Father Junipero Serra, the 18th century father of the California mission system accused of brutality against Native Americans, according to the San Francisco Chronicle. And of course, the San Francisco Chronicle is not going to let an article go by without sticking that in there. This sacred site has been desecrated, so we know there is evil here, Cordelione said before the ritual outside St. Raphael Catholic Church in downtown San Rafael, according to the report. Be gone, Satan, inventor and mastery of all fallacy, enemy of the salvation of men. Place yourself before Jesus Christ, the archbishop reportedly commanded during the 10-minute ritual. A program provided a translation of the Latin with the prayers referring to Satan and his followers as a cursed dragon and all diabolical legions and calling for his proud head to be crushed, the paper said. He used Latin because it tends to be more effective against the devil. Who knew? Because he doesn't like the language of the church, he claimed. Well, I'm a li I don't know about you, white boy Malcolm X, but I think I'm just a little offended that he's calling these mostly peaceful protesters, these nice, charming, young white men and women 
who just run around mostly peaceful protesting. He's calling them followers of Satan. He's calling Antifa Satanists. And our final story, folks. Plane passenger caught smuggling gold nuggets in rectum to avoid taxes. Indian airport authorities literally struck gold when they spotted a man walking oddly and discovered he had about two pounds of bullion shoved into his rectum, according to a report. And this reminds me, White Boy Malcolm X, of that story we had last week. Um, what was it? Walking Dead star Nico Tortorella, who declared that there was nothing, nothing, folks, more masculine than bottoming. And here you go. You got a man with two pounds of gold bullion shoved up his butt. The Go Air passenger arrived from... <laughs> he was one hell of a power bottom to take two pounds of gold. Good for him. The Go Air passenger arrived from Dubai on Tuesday at Kerala's Kanur Airport, where he had tried to avoid paying an 18% tax on his precious nuggets by smuggling them where the sun don't shine, the national reported. Officials at the Air Intelligence Unit mined the stash <laughs> worth about $60,000 from the unidentified smuggler's butt, according to the news outlet. Another passenger on the same flight was caught carrying more than three pounds of gold, though officials did not disclose that that passenger had concealed it the same way. So theoretically, folks, we could have had two raging power bombs with multiple pounds of gold shoved up their asses. I would have just called it a sex toy. <laughs> That's not gold I'm smuggling. That's just my butt plug. And on that note, folks, I think we're just going to go ahead and sign off. Thank you very much for joining us at this week's podcast. Hope you had as much fun as I did and as White Boy Malcolm X did. Remember, you can catch me at Miller at MillerFrostOnline.com. Uh, have a great start to your week, and we will see you back here next weekend. Take care. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.